0: Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life, to banish the years of yo-yo dieting, heal your relationship with food, make lifelong changes to your health by learning evidence-based nutritional techniques with self-compassion, mindfulness and behaviour change to feel more accepting and confident both in your mind and your body. We'll likely be adding a little bit of feminism, some sass and some humour along the way. I hope you enjoy and thank you for tuning in. Good morning everyone. Happy Friday the 13th. I'm having the best morning. The best morning... If you are watching this back on live, you can see that my face is no longer covered in cream, which is brilliant to start with. Secondly, I've just come off one of the best calls with one of you heroes, the best calls. And we've been talking about the mindset changes that she has developed, all of the resilience that she has built on, how she now no longer falls into the all or nothing and she's worked through a lot of limiting beliefs and we were talking about when she first started working with me she used to think going to starbucks was like naughty and then she would adopt adopt the screw this mindset and it was a very very much a battle of dichotomous thinking week in week out every monday she would get back on it And she'd fallen into, excuse me, different diets previously where she was told to weigh salad, where she was told she couldn't have a jacket potato. And she's just gone into a fat loss phase and she has lost a significant amount of weight in six weeks. And I'm genuinely so proud of her, but she hasn't cut out of her favorite food. She still had takeaways. She hasn't had the screw this mindset at all. She's increased her exercise, but she's said, like, I feel great in myself. I'm proud of what my body's been able to do. She now has a Starbucks and it's not a screw this, it's that it's a treat, a treat for her body. And that language of treat is not met with any of this all or nothing thinking anymore. It's like, no, I'm listening to my body and I really fancy a Starbucks today. And it's just so incredibly amazing to hear how free she feels around food, how free she feels in her body, but also the pride that she has for herself, the recognition of the significant changes in her mindset, how she's come so far away from subscribing to the diet culture narrative and the avoidance, the restriction, the dichotomous thinking, to being like, actually, do you know what? Now I enjoy eating food, I enjoy going out with my husband. I'm going out tonight I'm really looking forward to it, I'm going out next week and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to Orlando in a couple of weeks and I cannot wait. All of this that once was met with on track, off track, binging, over-restricting. She has the highest stressful job and she was just like, I don't think I've lost control all year. I haven't binged all year. And for me, honestly, my heart is so full. And then second to that, another legend of you is going through such a difficult time at the minute in terms of challenges with with your health and difficulties getting diagnosis and appointments with the NHS. And we know the the NHS are stretched. And having a conversation with her this week, she's like, I still respect my body. I appreciate my body is doing everything she can for me. I'm not treating her with any malice behaviours. I'm not treating her with a screw this mindset. It's been really hard for me, really, really hard, but I'm still showing up and I'm still doing the best I can for my body. i <laughs> just like, you, you guys are incredible. You genuinely are incredible. And getting to that peaceful place, that calm, that regulation and food in your body not being the main focus of your life is absolutely phenomenal. And this is where you come so far away from dieting to change your body, dieting to fix yourself. Instead, your dietary approach is adding value to your life. It's allowing you to sit in the trenches when things feel really, really rocky. But knowing that that is temporary, right? This is where resilience is key. Resilience is key to your relationship with food. Because without resilience, the minute something goes wrong, the minute something happens, it we allow it to feed into all areas of our lives. We take it on as being very personal. It's like, well, the really stressful day at work, that's my fault. That's my fault that that happened. And then what happens is, unfortunately, we haven't got the coping mechanisms in society to be able to deal with our emotions outside of perhaps things that we've, that coping mechanism, mechanism, sorry, that we've built over a myriad of years that looks like food, right? So when something happens at work, you put yourself in that situation, you take the honest being a you problem, but then that feeds into all areas of your life. It feeds into your nutrition. It feeds into your lack of exercise. It feeds into your self-worth. It feeds into your self-esteem. It feeds into your confidence. So with this resilience that we build on, or we build on this subconsciously, it's not that we're just like every day, go and build resilience. Every day, go and find resilience. It's like, no, actually. We increase your self-worth. We increase your self-confidence. We help you understand your emotions. We help you give language to emotions. We help you build on your emotional granularity, your stress management. And the hero I spoke to this morning, she was like, I can actually feel now when I'm going out of my window of tolerance. I'm like, gosh, you are a legend. You are a legend. And likewise with... The legend that is really struggling with her health and it's like no actually i know that sometimes i've let the stress take over and i know sometimes i lacked resilience in that but now i have that awareness and it's honestly it's transformative It is transformative because you don't go off track, you don't feel the guilt, you don't feel the shame and you recognize that things are happening at the minute, but they're simply out of your control and the only thing you can control is your response to it. So I'm genuinely on cloud nine this morning, despite the real rocky weather, Friday the thirteenth, despite going out this morning getting wetter than a duck in a pond. I am absolutely buzzing and I'm so happy to be here. So happy. So thank you all. Thank you all for making my day. Absolutely amazing. Amazing. So don't really have much else to say other than Tim Spector on the Diary of a CEO podcast. I am. They have changed some of their like um, Instagram handles sort of thing, you know, the marketing, they've changed that slightly, but. Like four million views on a podcast that initially said protein makes you fat. <clears throat> it's ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. And I had a I had a message actually from a an old client who lovely, lovely, lov- lovely girl dropped me a message and said, "I just listened to a podcast and without having done the work with you, I don't know how I would have responded to that podcast." And this podcast was about, I think she said, avoiding bananas and something about fasting. And she was like, I'm so glad I did the work with you because I was able to hear the nuance. I was able to hear it through a clear lens and then make decisions that are right for me. But had I not done the work, I would have fallen into that and I would have listened to that and believed that as truth. Because they cite science. That's the challenge here. And they have doctor at the front of their (laughs) name. But until you recognize, like until you're able to hear it through this clear lens and recognise as well that there is bias in that science. And just because they say science suggests, well, are they financially invested in the paper that they are citing? Because are they doing so from the Zoe project, where both the host and the guest on said podcast have financial investment in said Zoe project? So are they then citing research that has been funded by said Zoe project, and they have financial commitments wrapped up in said science project. That then they have, they have bias within that, you know, which is why we always look for the hierarchy of studies, meta-analysis, systematic reviews, because they don't have bias within them. <clears throat> they are instead a collection, uh, like a collective review of all the papers that have got that sort of like narrative within it so a meta-analysis systematic review would collectively review like the effects of protein on body composition the effects of protein on muscle protein synthesis the effects of protein on body fat levels they would review all of their papers and then it would remove bias so then it would remove anything that doesn't fit within that and then it would give a conclusion but there's no bias in it it's a collection, a collective review of everything that's been studied to that date. And remember, science doesn't conclude anything. Like science is forever changing. So just remember that. But anyway, let's get started because we have some amazing questions as always. Um, okay. Number one, I hate how I look in photos and as the festivities creep in, how not to avoid, but also how not to hate on myself in a photo. <laughs> it's one of those, isn't it? That... I'm sure we all look different in photos to how we actually feel. (laughs) And I'm not going to lie. Like I'll take a photo and I might say to my husband, can you take another? Can you take another? Can you take another? But that's the reality. And I'm sure we do look bigger in photos than we do in real life. We genuinely do. But I've had this just recently with myself as well um At a recent event where I took, a, like, my partner took a photo, and he now says to me, just check it before. <clears throat> and I started saying, no, don't check it. <clears throat> like, we'll, we'll just deal with it. Because in reality, just check it and then having another one was putting the main focus on me looking at myself to make sure that I looked in a way that I felt was okay, in a way that I perceived was going to be accepted. And instead, just dealing with it and just being like, no, that's it, that's fine. We've taken a photo. Then allows me to look at the photo and be like, well, what else was I doing in that moment? Like, who was I with? So in particular, there was one photo I looked at and I was like, oh gosh, I'm the biggest one in there. But actually I was with four of the coaches and I was having the very best day at a fitness event. And it was my perception that I was the biggest one there. It was my perception that people would look at that photo and think she's the biggest one. It was my perception that that Dan was then taking away my self-worth and being like, well, wow, what, what does that mean then if you're the biggest one? Does that mean that you're not accepted? Does that mean you're not worthy? Does that mean you're not attractive? That's your perception. And, and if that's your perception, that comes from your internalised weight bias, whereby we associate smaller with being better, bigger with being less than. So it's checking in with that and then taking a step back and being like, what well, is that photo there purely to capture your body? Or is that photo there to capture a memory? to capture like a special time? And can you switch then and reframe from it being about your body to being about the moment? Like, how were you feeling in that? What can you see? What colors can you see? Who were you with? Are you grateful that you're with those people is it a privilege that you can stand in that photo and you can put your arm around people is it a privilege that you're able to have these memories and be able to experience these things and that photo is one for the memory bank and sure you might not feel comfortable in your body but that photo is there not to remind you of your body but to remind you of special moments and this is where the subscription to diet culture really can impact our mental well-being and impact so much of our lives because uh, diet culture is, again, the, the notion that smaller is better, right? It forces people to obsess about their weight and their shape, obsess about their body and have this entire worth linked to our bodies. And if we subscribe to that, we potentially impact the ability to make memories. We potentially impact the ability to Experience events because we have this association that we are not worthy of doing something until we look a certain way, until we are a certain weight and are a certain shape. So we put our lives on hold and we don't want to be doing that because even if you do feel uncomfortable in your body, you can change and you can do so without this level of dichotomous thinking and without the sheer avoidance, restriction, and the all or nothing mentality. And it's being like, okay, so right now, leaning into acceptance leaning into some courage and saying, okay, I'm not comfortable with where I'm at right now, but that doesn't mean that I'm not worthy of events. That doesn't mean I'm not worthy of having my photo taken. That doesn't mean that I'm not worthy of making memories and experiences because there'll be one day where I look back or one day where I can't look back. And I'm now leaning into these events, leaning into these situations and these memories, um, these times to make memories, sorry, And knowing that the most important thing here is not my body, but the acceptance and the allowance. And we know that you can't diet from a place of guilt and shame. And dieting from a place of acceptance has been shown to have greater results in terms of sustainable fat loss. Because you're accepting of your body, you're not then going to treat him her, they, with malice behaviours, over-restrict, avoid follow unnecessary rules because you believe that dieting is going to fix you it doesn't fix you and if you went into the notion of dieting to fix yourself to feel better in a photo you will never fix yourself because you don't need fixing and shockingly it will never increase your confidence as well you will lose weight and you will still look at the photo and still be hyper focused on your body because you have the belief that that is the most important thing about you so zooming out and looking at everything else and then question the avoidance. Like, why are you avoiding this? Are you avoiding this because you believe that your body is the most important thing about you? And if so, okay, where does that come from? And is that helpful for you right now? And what would be the most courageous thing for you to do in that moment? Um, okay. I said no to going out this weekend, but then realized that was old me and some perfection thoughts. I soon regretted it after. How to become more consciously minded with making decisions around spontaneity? I think you've answered that question yourself to some extent, whereby you've said some perfection thoughts. And the perfection thoughts then are saying to you, well, they're a perception, right? They're a perception that manifests over years. And perfection corrodes the very part of us that's capable of change and it is directly linked to shame. And perfection will hold you back like it did this weekend. So it's recognising where that perfection tendency comes from. Is that linked to control? And is it the spontaneity that you can't sit with or is it the uncertainty around a lack of control? And this is something we see with relationships with food, with fat loss, with general health behaviors. When things feel out of sorts, when things feel out of body, our instant default is control. And one of our instant default mechanisms to control is food. The reason being is because like I was saying on the previous question, we have this belief that our body is the most important thing about us. And if you can't control your work, you can't control your relationship, you can't control, what's going off at home you control yourself because perhaps what's going off around you is heightening your stress heightening emotional dysregulation so you're trying to validate yourself by controlling what you can control and that control looks like perfection to you and that looks like meticulous control that inevitably leads to a loss of control and leads to levels of dichotomous thinking and like you've said here leads to levels of regret and it's bringing in now imperfection and recognizing like what perfection has held you back from, like what has perfection served you in the past? And there's some really cool prompts in, in, the, in the vault on the app, if you're a client listening to this, to help you explore what perfection means to you. And what does perfection bring you in terms of validation? Because it tends to be not the food, but this innate desire to control and the, the lack of trust in yourself and the lack of. Ability to then adapt because things feel out of body, out of control. So it's usually your association with out of control and uncertainty, and you're telling yourself a story that you need to be perfect in order to be successful. And that likely comes from years of dieting nonsense and years of misbelief. Maybe even growing up in in childhood, you were celebrated for doing things well, and this is where things can really play off into adolescence and into adulthood. Maybe when you, I don't know, you did your exams and you like got an a star got an a or whatever you were celebrated you're like oh amazing well done that's really really good and perhaps where you got a U or whatever or you didn't do so well it's like oh okay well better luck next time oh okay let's try again next time or okay let's resit it or you did your driving test and you you passed you failed first time it's like oh okay well let's try again and then your second time you, you pass, it's like, oh, amazing, well done. So you now have this belief that you're praised for being perfect, you're praised for doing well, but then that leads into all areas of your life. And one of the other things that I like to do, and like to recommend in these situations is catastrophize it. Like genuinely, ask yourself, what's the very worst thing that's going to happen if you go out for an evening meal? Like what's the worst thing that's going to happen? genuinely, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? And it tends to then, things that tend to come up tend to be like, well, I'll go with my calories. Okay. Why is that a bad thing? Well, I might gain weight, but well, you're not going to gain fat. You might gain body weight in terms of water retention because sure, you might get above your calories for one day, but just that one day is not going to then correlate to three pound of body fat. And if you're then going to step on the scales the next day and try and convince yourself that you've gained weight, you've gained water weight because you ate a little bit more food. That's normal. But then what happens is you restrict and you fall into the levels of dichotomous thinking because you told yourself that going out spontaneously was bad. And then you project that outwardly. Never going out again, can't deal with this. I need to be perfect with my diet. No, that's not the reality of life. Yeah, so the worst thing is you might gain a little bit of weight overnight that'll pass after a couple of days because that's a normal part of digestion for every one gram of carbs you eat your body needs three grams of water so it's completely normal for the scales to spike overnight completely normal you know okay so what's the worst thing well yeah okay that's fine what's the other worst thing nothing genuinely nothing bad is going to happen from you going out and then coming back to your values and this is where many people get let down hugely in society because they don't know their values so then they don't know how to make decisions so they seek reassurance for every decision they make am i eating the right food am i eating enough is this enough fruit and veg is this enough protein like yeah absolutely fine should i go out tonight can you help me what should i order and you even see coaches now saying send me the menu and i'll help you to make your decision what that's not value aligned that's not autonomous you know that is high stress That is rigidity. That is rules. Come back to your values. If you value family, if you value connection and you value health, is you saying no to going out tonight, value aligned? Or is that you saying no, I'm putting my diet on a pedestal right now and family connection, you can wait. That's why you regret it because it's not value aligned. And it's instead holding multiple truths and saying, okay, yeah. So my partner, my family, whatever, have asked me to go out tonight spontaneously. I've had my breakfast. I've had my lunch. I've had my snacks. I'm going to eat above my calories today. Getting on board with that acceptance, that's fine. Not stepping on the scales the next morning if you have this level of all or nothing thinking with the scales. Instead, just moving on with your day, like you would, continue to eat normally. And then coming back to your values and be like, okay, so what can I do here? It's always about a compromise. Instead, what you potentially did last weekend was sacrifice. You sacrificed making memories. You sacrificed the meal out because your perfection tendency came in. So come back to your values. What can I do here? Can I compromise? Can I say to myself, right, okay, yeah, I've had my meals today, so we're going to go to a burger joint. I'm going to have the burger that I love because it's frankly delicious, but I'm going to order a side salad because the fries are mediocre for me. Or I'm going to pass on the Rioja tonight when we go for a pizza because I'd rather have the pizza. Or I want the Rioja, so I'm going to order the salad instead. You know, it's a compromise. Um... Okay, so this one moves on quite nicely as well. How not to adopt a screw-it mindset when something happens out of your planned routine, i.e. you forget your lunch and have to adapt. Again, it's perfection. It's control. It's because you said to yourself that this is how I will perfectly eat today. And then life happens. Life throws you a curveball. And life is always going to happen. Life is always going to throw us these curveballs. And then what do you do? Screw it. What's the point? so then you go and order a macis as an example but instead of saying it's coming a massively away from what should i be doing and the should is based on perfection the should is based on control the should is based on meticulous control the should is based on dietary restriction like probably the removal of certain food groups because that's what you've been learned for all of this years right and i did a post on this um i don't think it's out yet how these things have been normalized, but it's disordered eating, but they've been normalized under labels like keto, under labels like independent fasting, under labels like swimming world, weight watchers, where we're told to fixate on food, told to follow rules, rigidity, with this thought process that energy balance is static, that we get new calories every day and we associate food within a calorie, And then we fall into this narrow psychological place whereby we tell ourselves we need to do it perfectly. And if we don't do it perfectly, then what's the point of doing it? And every time you fall into that, you strike away at your self-confidence. You strike away at your self-worth, your self-esteem. And instead of thinking, what should I be doing here? It's leading into growth. (laughs) It's leading into imperfection. And no amount of sustainability is going to come from a narrow psychological place of this should do mentality it comes from the growth it comes from the ability to adapt it comes from imperfection because perfection gives you an excuse if you can't do it perfectly you don't do it at all so if you've not had your perfect meals what do you do nothing imperfectly suggests that actually you're still taking action irrespective of what happens and you're still taking action because maybe you had your breakfast that morning so that was high protein high veggies brilliant then you forgot your lunch because I don't know the the children were running late for the school and you left it on the side and now you're a little bit frustrated with yourself and instead of being like okay well I should be eating a high protein high vegetable meal now what can I do what have I got within my vicinity that I can grab and that I can eat mindfully and when I'm leaning on my mindful gears I'm able then to slow down my pace of eating I'm able to allow myself the capacity to digest this food, to really taste this food without it feeling quite neurotic, erratic, and out of body because you've adopted the screw it mindset. Instead, it's like, what can I do here? And what can I do then gives you that space for a pause. And you all know that the Victor Franklin quote that I love between stimulus and response is space. And within that space, we have the capacity to choose. And knowing that it's a choice, like if you choose to adopt the screw it mentality, that's still a choice. If you choose to go and get something that is around the all or nothing, that is a choice. But it's recognizing that choice is not value aligned again. So then coming back to your imperfection and being like, okay, I'm going to create a space here for a pause. And that comes to building self-awareness. And you've got the self-awareness now because we do the mindset work, which is why we do the mindset work because you can't have the self-awareness until you do the mindset work to allow you to be more mindful and to allow you to make more conscious decision making in that process. So instead of thinking, what should I do here, protein veggies, think, what can I do? What can I do here? What have I got within my capacity to do? And that might look like going to prep and get yourself a wrap. it might look like I know myself, I go Starbucks and get porridge when I'm like, well I'll, I' can't have lunch or I'm out working over lunch right now and I'm working at Starbucks, I'll just have the porridge or I'll have they have now like a sweet potato wrap. There's no protein in them. and, there's no vegetables with them and there's no fruits and there's, but that's okay because you don't have to have protein and fruits with every single goddamn meal for the majority of the time. Yeah. But times like this, it's okay. Um. Okay. Next one. Boredom is a challenge at night and I have a knee-jerk reaction to eat. Any tips? Oh, gosh. Any tips to sew my mouth up? My last coach suggested brushing my teeth, but I feel that's somewhat of a rule. I've heard that before. heard brushing your teeth. And I mean, they say to break a habit, to form a new habit. Firstly, you don't need to sew your mouth up. But it's exploring boredom. Boredom is one of the biggest and most challenging emotions that people struggle to sit with. And it tends to come with this association maybe of guilt, like I feel guilty resting, so my mind is on overdrive. But there's also some exploration maybe to do here in terms of have you met your needs throughout the day. And two things that are imperative that must be met in the process of healing your relationship with food. Number one is meeting your own needs. Understanding your needs and meeting your needs. And number two is finding joy in life, finding joy in life outside of food. Because we see this correlation, and I've seen this with so many clients who have come through coaching, whereby they've spent years people pleasing, spent years proving, spent years in a perfection mindset, doing things for other people as a way of validating themselves. They've ranked themselves right down at the bottom in their priority list, they haven't done anything for themselves. I've had clients who tell me they have no idea what they enjoy doing anymore. No idea what their own needs are. And we go through the exploration phase in order to understand and establish that. And with this manifestation then of beliefs met with behaviours of doing things for other people before we do things for ourselves. We all feel emotions. We all have times when We're emotionally dysregulated. We're out of our body. And we meet our own needs then with maladaptive coping strategies, like online shopping, like food, like alcohol. So it may well be that not only do you struggle to sit with boredom, but it could well be that you haven't met your own needs in the day because maybe you followed perfection, people-pleasing, proving for so many years, and to do something for yourself feels wild feels so out of sync, so out of body. So we start to reframe that. We start to say, well, actually the most selfless thing I can do for myself is do something for myself, because then it allows me to be the very best version of myself for those around me. And I think that's one of the most transformative things that people recognize when they finish coaching, that you are deserving and that you are worthy. And then exploring what you've done for yourself in the day. Have you just been to work all day and been on this constant drive? Like, yeah, go 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 really hectic job and then you've come home you have sorted the children you've made the children's food you've done the pack up you've hoovered the house you've walked the dog and now you're sat down and you've done nothing for yourself all day and okay where can we slot in pockets for you to do things for yourself like what brings you joy is it maybe that getting out for a walk does bring you joy but it now feels so habitual for you that you just take the dog out and you're then scrolling instagram so can we make it more conscious that you're then saying right okay i'm gonna go for a mindful walk i'm gonna connect with nature it's bigger than me it's part of like the spiritual rest that we know and i'm gonna be really connected to myself here and i'm gonna put real conscious effort and say like okay going for what really brings me joy i'm gonna spend some time being mindful on this walk to allow me to meet one of my needs Are you lacking connection in the day and the only time that you have connection is at the end of the day and that's with food? Okay, so where can we find pockets of joy for you to connect in the day? Could it be on your way home, you call a friend? Could it be that you drop a friend a message and you check in with how they're feeling? Could it be that you, I don't know, have a conversation with your partner before you go to work? So you're finding these pockets throughout the day and it's then asking yourself, okay, what are the needs? do I need as a person like I know for me I need movement and that's something that is imperative in my day so where do I find that pocket some days it might look like yoga it might look like stretching some days it might look like a walk and I know I'm highly privileged to be able to go out for a walk in the morning because I haven't got commitments but had I have commitments I would make a pocket for that because I know it's imperative of one of my needs both mentally and physically and if you're not meeting your needs you're meeting your needs likely with eating at the end of the day So we start to break the habit by forming new habits and understanding what it is that you need in your life. So going into a bit of an exploration now, and maybe what did you enjoy doing as a child? Maybe you enjoyed playing sports, maybe you enjoyed crafts, maybe you enjoyed arts. And maybe you haven't done that since you had children or since, I don't know, work schedules changed. Okay, how can we start bringing that in? Can say you love crafts and you love, I don't know, like creative Oh, as an example okay can we just bring in like a little bit of coloring can we just bring in like 15 minutes at the end of the day and actually one of those legends that i was talking about at the start she was like i've been crocheting pretty much every night and that's something that she had abandoned for years and years and years and she's picked that back up and she's thriving with it and she used to say i haven't got time for that but now it's like pockets of 10 minutes of an evening because that's a need for her that allows her to t- detach from the day so that's excuse me a massive exploration that we can go into and then do you feel guilty with resting and it's then like okay is my output is my worth linked to my output do I feel like I always need to be on the go and if so what validation do I get from being on the go and can I reframe rest as essential for my well-being essential for my mental and physical health my emotional health So there's quite a lot to explore there. Please do drop me a message and we can go into that. But I think firstly, going into your needs and making sure that they are met because that's when we struggle with boredom. Um, Post-run fuels. So we're looking to replenish with carbohydrates and protein. So it's so individual and so like client specific some people do better onboarding pre-run like i know for myself i can't run fasted like genuinely (laughs) my hunger is wild if i run without eating i could smash through like literally eat a highland cow all day And there's some real cool research out there about the hunger response to endurance exercise. And it varies up to 500 calories in individuals. So I know for myself in particular, like if I onboard enough pre-run, then I'm okay for a couple of hours post-run. But if you are noticing you prefer running on less food and then you're looking to refuel post, it's like, okay, am I getting adequate carbohydrates in here? Like a bagel with some nut butter and a banana, a big bowl of oats with some protein powder, um, some chai seeds, some nuts or stewed apples, you know, that time of the year now. And getting enough on board so that you're not exposing yourself then to elevated levels of hunger later on in the day. It's like, okay, I just can't catch my breath now with my hunger because I feel dysregulated. So it's a bit of a trial and error being like, okay, well, making sure that I'm eating enough beforehand to help with my performance. And then post run, making sure that we're getting something in depending on when your last feeding was. So we like to say like three to four hours. So say you ate at 10 o'clock and you're going for a run at 12. Let's say then, okay, you're back by one. We really need to be eating quite quickly after we've eat, after we've come back from our run because our last meal was 10 but if you say you ate at 12 and you went for a run at 12 30 then and your run was like an hour at you're saying to yourself right okay i'm gonna allow my body to come back down to homeostasis because the run was quite high on, in terms of like a stress response completely natural i'm gonna eat around three o'clock but i'm still gonna make sure that i'm replenishing with a decent carbohydrate source and i always say like slower release in carbohydrates and a protein source all right so yeah That's it, all the amazing questions. Let me know if you have any more. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great day.